two friends, Alan Dale and Jerry Carew, who grew up just a few streets apart in St. John's East End, have been separated by Canon's geography for three decades. They came together virtually during the pandemic to chat about like-minded interests. Alan lives in PEI and Jerry in Newfoundland. Thriving in remoteness has been a common theme for both of them during the pandemic. Gale Force wins. The podcast is the result. Well, Alan, here we are. It's Gale Force wins. I'm doing the introduction this time uh, to this point. It's been Alan setting up the meetings and uh, me doing the technical in the back end. But uh, I'm actually very excited to have a special guest on here right now. Uh, Her name is Tina Smith. And uh, Alan, say hello to Tina. Hi, Tina. How are you? An absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, Gale Force Wins. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be with you both. So, Tina, um, what we're going to do uh, is we're going to take you to a point in time, and uh, it's it's a tough point in time, but I think it's important. We'll get there, and then we'll circle back, and then we'll go, as Alan says, north, south, east, and west, and uh, we'll just we'll see where this conversation takes us, all right? So, um, for those who don't know, I'll let you tell the story, but on December 30th, 2009, Uh, something happened to your family that I'd like you to talk about. Okay. Um, It was kind of one of those very um, tumultuous days, a very emotional day, because um, my youngest son um, turned 22 on December 30th, 2009. I didn't know that. um, you, You celebrate the birth of all your children on their birthdays, whether you live with them or far away from them. So, you know, so everybody's excited. It's Jim's birthday. Um, and given, given the time difference between uh, where I live here in Arizona and where Jim lives back in Nova Scotia, and then, of course, where Kirk was stationed in Afghanistan, um, I put in basically a, a full day at work. Um, came home, wasn't feeling good, had been out of sorts all day. All day, all day, just, just really wasn't, really wasn't up to par. Um, ended up having to go to the emergency room because I broke out in this really, really awful rash. And I kept thinking there's something really wrong. You know, you have that sense all day. So I got back from the emergency room. Uh, my husband went to pick up my prescription. I, so I, I laid down to wait for him to come back. And then I had the phone call that came. So it was about 10 o'clock that night when the, when the call came that Kirk had been killed. Um, the, the, it was his girlfriend who called me. Um, but in, in effect, Kirk had put myself and her father as the people to, to be contacted. So um, by the time they got a hold of, of Felicia's dad and then he got to Felicia's and she, then she's the one who called me. So, and I, I think, uh, you know, until this day, I'm still, I'm coming up into the 11th year anniversary of Kirk being killed. And I, I can still hear her voice, you know, with, with that long drawn in, you know, Tina. And as soon as, as soon as I heard her, I knew what had happened. And so it, then it kind of like everything put the day back into perspective. Okay, this is what's been wrong with me all day. When, when, Kirk, when Kirk told me that he was going to go to Afghanistan, um, I, I felt like the biggest horse that I had ever seen had kicked me in the heart. That's, that's just what I felt like. So he shipped over in October of, of 2009. And then, of course, was killed December 30th, 2009. So the whole, those whole two months, it was kind of like um, that sense of uh, foreboding, I guess. Um, kind of something's hanging over you. I, I just had this really awful sense the whole time he was there. I mean, I spoke with him, you know, every two or three days, but we emailed every day. Right. So, and I remember saying to him, um, Shortly before he was killed, you know, the 
Kirk, you need to be very careful. You need to keep your head up. You need to be super alert because the president here has just ordered a surge and you're, you're coming into the Christmas holidays. You know, in the Western world, the holidays mean a lot, but over in places that they don't celebrate those holidays, it really doesn't mean much. So you need to be real careful. Um, so, and it was, oh yeah, mom, you know, everything's great. Well, then of course, when the phone call came, well, obviously we all know everything's not so great. So when, when the, uh, when the Padre came on the phone, I, I kept insisting what was the date, what was the date, the actual date that Kirk was killed. Because in the back of my mind, I knew it was Jim's birthday that day, but I wasn't sure the difference in the time change. Right. So, um, you know, all of a sudden, then when he said December 30th, I'm, I find myself in a position of celebrating one son's birthday but being totally emotional meltdown over the death of another son. So um, that was kind of December 30th for me, 2009. Wow. Uh, <laughs> quite a day. Uh, yeah, it was quite a day for sure. For <laughs> quite sure. a day. Um, yeah. Tina, tell us a little bit about Kurt. Oh, gosh. Well, um, Kirk found his niche. When, when he joined the reserves. He, he was always a child who liked routine, who liked structure. So when he got into the armed forces, it was like all of a sudden, hey mom, this is what I really want to do. Um, Kirk was always um, very upbeat, very positive, um, always very, uh, always saw the good in every day, always saw the good in, in every day, no matter what. And um, I, I kind of, I, I guess I, uh, I have to take a little bit of credit for that because I find that, that I've always done that as well because I, when my children were small, all three of them, when they had a really bad day or were upset going to bed, and I said, never mind, tomorrow will be better. So I think that was something that, that we just kind of, maybe I just instilled that in Kirk, like tomorrow will be better no matter how, how crazy today seems, tomorrow it will be better. And, and no matter what happens, you pick yourself up, you brush yourself off, and you just keep going because the alternative, you really do not want to stop going forward. You, do, you don't want to go backward, and you don't want that black hole of, of any kind of a depression or that type of thing to pull you into it because then you can't get out of it. So, so I guess it was always, I, I always tried to teach that to my children to, you know, just pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and keep going. So Tina, I saw that he he was in cadets, naval cadets, yes. which is interesting. Alan and I both have a history in the Navy. Um, how did he transition from cadets into the Army, I believe he was in? Was it the yes. Army? Yes. Yeah. So he, just yeah. tell us a little bit about that. They, uh, at, one, at one point, all three of my children were, were in the sea cadets. Kirk joined it first. And then um, my daughter, Stephanie, and then my younger son, Jim. So at one point, we had all three of them in, in, uh, in cadets. And it, the dynamics were, were quite interesting because Kirk was about six years older than what Stephanie and Jim were. And um, just the dynamics of uh, getting ready to get them out the door, <laughs> to get the uniform ready. And, of course, Kirk, you know, kind of lording it over, having been in there for a couple of years. And you need to fix your lanyard. You need to fix this. You need to fix that. And so it was always, you know, pretty uh, pretty wild trying to get him out the door. But um, he, he stayed in that until he was about 16. And then I think they had to, they had to phase out at that point. So um, a little bit later on, uh, there was a, a gentleman who was in the reserves and in, in, in the army um, who owned a video store down in Barrington Passage, shortly, like not too far from where we lived. Um, and so Kirk used to go in to talk to him about the videos and the video games. And, and Tim is the one who said to Kirk, once you knew he had been into the secrets, why don't you come, you know, come join the militia, join, see what, see what we can do, right? 
And it was like once he got into that, and, and I always credited Tim with, with you know, you really um, let this kid find what he was looking for. Like, because he really did. He really, he really took to the whole army life and Canadian forces life. He, he really did. So, so that was, it wasn't so much a transition, I don't think, from one to the other, like one branch versus the other. I think it was just a matter of circumstance of how he got there. So, you, uh, I, I read in one of the news clippings that you describe his entry into uh, the military, whether it was through the cadet program or into the reservists, that it touched his soul. It, something about it touched his soul. And that was a, a beautiful way to put it because he, clearly he found his passion in life. And so you, uh, so he grows up in the cadet organization. I, by the way, too, was a sea cadet. I joined sea cadets when I was 12 and, uh, and, and followed the almost identical path to your son. I, I continued on and I joined the reserve and then continued on to, to serve. Um, and uh, I, I found that that was such a wonderful part of my life, that whole cadet experience and then into the reserve and the like. So it's interesting that on the actual day that your son was killed in Afghanistan, you, you kind of allude to the fact that you knew something was wrong. Tell us a little bit more about what that must have felt like for a mom. You knew something was happening. Explain that to us a little bit. Yeah, it was like like all day, you know, I, I got up that morning um, and I always clicked on to see if there was an email from Kirk. Most days there was one, some days, some days there wasn't. Um, and, and this little blurb came up at the bottom of my screen. Four Canadian soldiers killed in Afghanistan. And I thought, I can't go there because I had said to Kirk before, if something happens to you, I don't want to read about it uh, in a headline. I, I you know, somebody, I, I presume, is going to get in touch with me. And he said, before you ever find out that something has happened to me, somebody will have talked to you before you see the headline. But as soon as I saw the headline, it was like, and then, then you know, my stomach started turning. I, I went to work. We were kind of... Um, uh, changing the, the flower shop that I was working in over from kind of the holidays into more like a spring type thing. And, and, and then I broke out in this awful rash. And as the day went on, you know, that whole feeling of something is really, really wrong. And, and, and again, it was like, you, I couldn't shake it. It was, it was like, again, that big horse was like coming back at me to kick me again is what it felt like. And I kept thinking, don't go there. Somebody would have called you by now, right? right. Yeah. And then, of course, that night when I got the call, I thought, well, you know, um, now I understand uh, why I have felt the way I have felt all day. And and after after the call was over, and 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 I remember saying to them, "You're coming to get me, right?" Because I I knew enough that if something happens to to a soldier who was fallen, that they kind of wrap you into a bubble and somebody transports you back home. So I didn't know how the, how the process worked. But I, I remember I remember uh, saying, I have to call my other two children right. because I don't want them to hear this from somebody else. Right. So, of course, at this point, I'm, I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking it's almost 11 o'clock. It's 2 o'clock in the morning back home. I, you know, I need to call his grandmother. I need to call his brother and sister. And I'm thinking, but I cannot do that in the middle of the night because, because the middle of the night phone calls are never, ever good. Never, never. So I, um, I got it in my head that I was going to pack my suitcase. So I was going to be ready for when they came to my door and I would be ready and I would grab my suitcase and I would go. Well, nothing works quite that quickly, so, right. but it did give me something to do until until it was time. You know, uh, my husband my husband called a uh, called a friend of mine, and and she came over, and uh, you know, tried to settle me down. I I wasn't really in what I would call meltdown mode. I was kind of more calm of what this is what I have to do in order for that to happen type right. thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
sailed by a boat. I guess it was about two o'clock my time. It was five o'clock back home. So I said, okay, I, I need to track my children down and I, and I need to tell them what has happened. So then it, then it started, um, you know, to try to find them. Stephanie was doing an early work, an early shift at work. So trying to find somebody, I didn't want to call her at work and tell her. So I needed to find somebody who could go get her so she could call me or I could call her again to, to tell her because I wanted to make sure that it came from me. And then, um, so by the time I got a hold of Stephanie and then I, I got a hold of Jim and then I got a hold of, of uh, my sister and I said, can you go to be with Jim because she lived fairly close to where he was. So kind of lining that up, I kind of went into full organizational mode. Okay, what do I have to do in order to get all this to come together type thing? Um, and then um, um, from there, it was to call Kirk's grandmother. Um, that was... She's that was, your, mo- your mother? No, yeah. that would be Kirk's father. Let me give you a little bit of history. Uh, Kirk's father died of a massive heart attack when Kirk was two. So this would be his father's mother. Right. So, and, and her and I have stayed very, very close, you know, for all, through all the years, um, all these years ago that it's been now, it seems like 12 lifetimes ago, but anyway. Um, so I called her, I called her, uh, her stepson and told him what had happened and said, can you go over to be there when I call? Because she had already lost her son, and I I knew it was going to be really, really difficult to tell her she was in, and her son was her her only child, Mm -hmm. and Kirk was her only grandchild. So I said, like, in order for me to be able to tell her this, you know, can you please go over there to be there with her? So, and I think, I think that one, that phone call was probably the hardest, believe it or not, as bad as it was for Jim and Stephanie. Um, the one for Kirk's grandma was, was that, boy, that really hurt. That one, that one really hurt. But yeah, you do, you have to do the things that need to be done in, in times like this. No matter how difficult they are, you just have to do them. So... Tina, it's remarkable that you were able to do all of these things in the moment. To, to, to just to think that somebody could bring themselves to do all that—it's it's remarkable, uh, right out of the gate. Jerry, your thoughts? Well, you know, just as a bit of background, uh, Tina, uh, I've known your name, and I said this prior to us getting on the air here for many years. My brother served with with Kirk, and. I, I don't know. Uh, he said, uh, Alan and I had a big, big bit of a chat with him today. Kirk was much long, younger than, than my brother, but for some reason, they really bonded. They had a, um, a, a connection. And, uh, and I understand what you said about, you know, uh, the military getting into your soul. Um, you know, I spent nine years in the reserves and, and it was some of the most incredible times of my life. Alan and I've rekindled our relationship after 30 years apart. But my brother, um, when he talks about you and when he talks about Kirk, it's, it's, it's something on a whole other level. And uh, frankly, you know, I'm, I'm very emotional here tonight, uh, listening to you. And, uh, I just think that it's, it's, I really appreciate you talking about it. One of the challenges I found when they were over there was I, I'm in sales. So I would get in the car and I'd drive around and the news announcer would come on and say, Oh, another person killed in Afghanistan. And I, what you said about that news report really resonated within my family. I'm not sure if everyone realizes, yes, you have someone serving, you know, the person is in danger, but the people, the family, there's so right. many people that are concerned and their lives are not normal while they're over there. So I don't know, you unfortunately suffered the worst possible fate in terms of what happened, but I think, you know, you've touched on it. I, it, I, I actually went to the Military Family Resource Center. Uh, did you have any of that prior to uh, this terrible call? No, no. Um, that, actually, the, the Family Resource Center that was um, 
connected to Kirk, for want of a better way, uh, was in Greenwood in Nova Scotia. So, of course, I'm in Arizona. So it's, you know, I always say 4,000 miles, whether it's actually 4,000 or not, I don't know. But it seems like it seems like at least that on any given day. But um, and then for my two children, um, that's about three hours from where they live. So we, we never really had a whole lot of contact aside from an envelope of stuff that came in the mail before ship, before Kirk shipped over. So having having met a lot of the other families now, especially the four families who who were impacted when the other three families and plus Michelle Lang's family, having met them and seeing how they were able to tap into the resource center, I, I really feel that that, that's something that where maybe maybe the communications broke down to be able to help us because given our distance from through geography compared right. to the people uh, say in Edmonton who have the family resource center right there and then when they when they when their children were killed that that resource was like right there with us it was too far away for us right. so so that's kind of I, I don't, that's just the way the system is. I'm not trying to, to put the system down, but that's just, just kind of the way it is. But I felt that that was something that, that really kind of maybe hurt us rather than helped us, even though, even though we could, uh, we could have tapped into it. But in all honesty, you're in such a frame of mind that it's like, who's going to pick up the phone to say, hey, wait a minute, I got this package in the mail from somebody. Maybe I should call them. It, it just doesn't work that way when when you're in the middle of such a loss. It it just doesn't. But I know I know the other families have really um, it's really helped them a lot. Tina, but, you're you're coming up on the eleventh year now. Yes. Um, tell us about what the last eleven years have been like. How has this journey been for you now? Um, I I. I have learned that grief is a many faceted creature and I'm going to call it a creature because you never know when it's going to come at you. Um, some days, some days you can go through the days and, you know, I, I think about my son every day. I think about his belief in what he was doing and, and how he felt that that's where he wanted to be. Um, I think about that every, every day, every day. And I think I, I don't say why did it have to be my son? Because you know what? Anybody who serves their country, that's that's what they do. They go into this serving their country, knowing that the day might come, whether they're whether they're killed overseas in a war, or whether they're in a training accident, or or whether they're run over by by a truck backing out of out of the armories. You know you. That's part and parcel, I think, when you when you sign in, sign on to, to the to the armed forces. Well, that things are things are going to happen, and none of us have any control over that. But um, I find I find that uh, last year, coming into last year, the tenth anniversary, was perhaps the worst year that I had been put in, aside from the first year. And I think it's because it was that 10-year milestone, you know, when you get those milestone years. Uh, somehow it, it just seemed to be a whole lot worse. And I was a whole lot more emotional. I was, like, um, very unsettled. It was, it, was like, it was like, on one hand, my son has been gone for 10 years. And on the other hand, how can it possibly be 10 years already? So year, year one was... was really difficult year one I, I think I think you operate um, almost on autopilot because you're just in shock and and for me I guess I kept thinking and, and I did the same thing when his father died if I can make it through the first year because the first time that you have to do something without them if you can make it through that then you can make it through the second year that's that's what I told myself. That was that I guess was one of my coping coping mechanisms for one of a better way to put it. Um, because you know the first time the first time when it comes up that it was going to be his birthday, April the tenth, that first year after he was killed, 
and and I'm in a position that just through geography of where I live, that I, I couldn't even go to his go to his grave. Right. And that's that I found very very difficult that first year. Now the second and third year, it, I mean, it gets a little easier because you've made it. You've done it once. Right. And if if you've done it once, then you can do it the second time, and the third time, and the fourth, and the fifth, and sixth, and seventh, and eighth, and ninth, and tenth. You can do it. You can do it. That's what you have to keep telling yourself. At least from my perspective, that's what works for me. Um, right. But year ten was really bad. Year year eleven, it's kind of you don't have that milestone mm-hmm. creeping at you. So I'm not going to say it's not bad because in in because it is, I, I, I don't want to make light of it. But from when you're coming up right after Halloween and you know Remembrance Day is coming, right. and, and you know that, that everybody's remembering the fallen, and, and especially for me over here, it's Veterans Day here. Right. For me, I'm Canadian, so it's Remembrance Day. Yeah. So all those emotions that come from not being able to go to a Remembrance Day service, Right, uh, because they don't have that here. Yeah, um, that's that's always difficult. So I find myself really unsettled, you know, from from early November until until about mid January, because um, Kirk was buried January the eleventh, and and I I find myself those two months I find them very difficult. They're always very uns- I'm always very unsettled. Um, I feel like I've I've got a, a you know a real real close temper, ready to ready to fly. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it just it's just the differences that you see in your emotions, I guess. Right. The other children, Tina. Tell us a little bit about them. Okay, uh, Stephanie. Uh, Stephanie's the girl in the middle of the boys. Uh, Right now, she has uh, she has a son uh, who will be he will be seven in March. Um, she uh, she works hard. She she works really hard. I tell her she has some of her mother in her because I've always worked hard. It seems like. Um, and then my son my son Jim uh, has been blessed with a daughter uh, who is uh, two and a half. Wow! So. Wow. Um, and he's very a hard young, worker. Very young. <laughs> he's a hard worker as well. Wow. I, I think they I think they struggle somewhat uh, with the fact that we're all separated. Um, luckily enough, Jim and, and Stephanie live, you know, um, very close together ge- geographically wise, uh, in the same little communities, kind of one right next to the other. So I think that helps. I think that helps. And how did they uh, manage through the last 11 years? You know, the, the first, the first couple of years were so tough. Were Mm -hmm. so tough because when, when Kirk was killed, um, I was, I was back home for a month and, and uh, to see, to see the changes in them, uh, so difficult to see that happen. So difficult to see the, have the impact of losing one of your children. It, it's tough to see the impact that that has left on the other two children and know that you need to get on a plane again to travel 4,000 miles away to go back to where you live. Um, so that, that was really difficult. Um, I, think, I think for Jim, um, with Kirk having been killed on his birthday was... Um, especially especially tough but luckily enough um kirk had kirk had called him that morning to tell him happy birthday really oh yeah so so that had already happened you know before he gets the phone call from from me so um so i think i think that went a long ways towards um Lessening the stigma of oh my god my brother was killed on my birthday kind of thing because because when you have when you have special days and then something gets attached to them that makes it that much tougher I think sometimes right so but they you know they're both they're both very uh, very responsible they're both very mature 
um, the both wonderful parents to to their uh, the little boy and the little girl. I, you know, it's so precious to, to so precious to see their relationship with their with their little ones. Um, That's a great success right there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, right? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, Tina, and and partly I think you have a uh, a son in my brother. <laughs> frankly, uh, I'll never forget one day I was in the truck and you called, and the two of you were talking, and uh, you 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 both ended it in such a nice, almost like a mother and son. And and I didn't know who you were at that point. I said to my brother, "Who was that?" You were just talking to, and he said, "Oh, he told me who you were," and I, I was just like, "Wow!" Like. My 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 mom is an amazing woman, but it's nice to know that you are there to talk to my brother. You know. Oh, you know, John. John is just John is just I just love him to pieces. You know, I I met him, I met him through uh, one of one of Kirk's friends, um, Rhonda Matthews. Jerry, you, you might know Rhonda. I'm not sure. She's in Halifax now, but she's from Newfoundland. Yeah. Um, so when I when I was over on my next of kin trip over in Kandahar Airfield, um, I met Rhonda. So and and she knew Kirk because she she did the same job over there that he did when he was there. So kind of when she phased out, he phased in, and then um, then she was back over for her second tour when I met her when I was over there. Um, so. One day I get this thing on Facebook that says uh, from Rhonda, Tina meet John, John meet Tina. So and and that was like that was literally literally it. So then John and Susan came to um, came over here on the West Coast, and then uh, him and I met up um, for lunch in Laughlin, and and we we just hit it off. Um, he he knew Kirk. He knew Kirk well. It was it was probably the first person that. Um, within the armed forces that I could say that really knew Kirk. Um, should say, I shouldn't say really knew him, but maybe he really knew him because he served with him. And they were the only two Atlantic Canadians that went over in that tour because Kirk was seconded over with the, the Princess Patricia's out of, out of Edmonton. Right. So, and and John and I talked a lot about what had happened uh, over in Afghanistan and some of the things that he had been through, and we we just really hit it off. And every year that they have come out this way, we make sure we meet up for either for lunch or for dinner, and. I, we just love him to pieces, both my husband and I. But but John is just he's turned into such a special, special friend to us. And you know, when you when you lose somebody and and especially a child in such a public way, mm-hmm. sometimes you 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 need to have a friend who that you can talk to about how you feel about things and literally in effect about what happened what happened that day and and you know john john is in a is in a position that um to have access to know exactly what happened that day so so for me when i when i when i met john it was you know uh, he he came into my life when i really really needed somebody that i could sit and say gosh john what happened you know, tell me what happened, right? So you know, it's it's carved out that friendship that that has just lasted, and and I just love him to pieces. I mean, he's there's there's always something good that comes from something bad, and and for me, the something good has been to meet people like John, and get to know him, and and um, I recognize within him. The hurt that he feels over losing Kirk and over losing the other people that he lost on that tour, because he lost a lot of friends on that tour, and and I guess it just it just touches my heart, and and I'm so thankful that 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 I have met him because even though he says I help him, it's him who's helped me, 
Wow. I know one of the things that John told myself and Alan that hurts him the most is that he actually was home. He got the lucky Christmas R&R or whatever you call it. And he told me, he said it was the worst thing that ever happened to him. He preferred to have had an extended stay and not that. So it was tough on him, he told me, to uh, because then he had to go back. He couldn't even go to Nova Scotia. He had to go back to Afghanistan. Right. Wow. Right. Knowing that all this had unfolded. Right. That that was one of the first things he told me that day that I met him. And he said, he said, he said, Tina, when I heard what happened and I, and I heard one of the men was, was Kirk. He said, I just, I just bent over and I just threw up. And, and he said, and I couldn't even come to Nova Scotia to meet you. I had to go back. It, you know, it was just, it, my, my heart just breaks for, for, all all of our troops who are are in in those in those situations that they are losing their their friends they're losing their buddies i mean as bad as i feel over losing my son my heart just breaks for all these people you know i i i don't know i i, I don't know my heart just breaks my heart just breaks for them all you're a compassionate person that's a beautiful thing um now a few years ago, I was uh, a parade commander at Beechwood Cemetery. I took a bunch of recruits from Borden, right. Ontario up, and I was the parade commander. And I was inside uh, the main building there waiting to go on parade. And a lady came over and said, could you help me, please? And Sure. And she handed me a silver cross. So can you help me pin this on? Well, you can... <laughs> My hands were trembling as I tried to put. So I see a silver cross there, uh, yeah. and wow! To wear it today. Yeah. So I have a question for you. You live in the United States. You live in Phoenix, Arizona. I know what a silver cross means in Canada. Right. Folks right. down, do the folks down there understand what a silver cross mom is? Um, no, <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I. Um, I don't wear it here very often just for that reason, because there's not really a lot of understanding. Um, uh, over here, they have the gold star families and there's a whole program, you know, for gold stars and, and, and that type of thing. But where I'm Canadian, I can't tap into that. So that's kind of one of the fallacies within it. But, but very few people really know here where I live, what my silver cross stands for. Yeah. Well, we sure know up here. That's for sure. You certainly do. Yes. So, Jerry, I think we'll circle back. Um, and uh, so if we could go back now to the 30th of December, 2009, you knew something was going on. What would you say to yourself and indeed a broader audience, to the people listening, what would you say to yourself in the moment, knowing what you know now and all the emotions and experiences and everything you've lived through and the people that you've helped along the way, what would you say to yourself now and indeed to the audience? I think I, think I, would, I, think I would tell myself to explore those feelings a little further. And and rather than rather than look at that little blurb and say no, somebody would have told me if Kirk was one of them. I think I I would have said to myself, you need to explore this further and make sure he wasn't one of them. Mm -hmm. um, one of one of the things that I never really understood a lot. I I remember Kirk this one time. Um, they had, it was shortly before he was killed and one of his friends had been killed over there. And he said, mom, it got really real last night. And, I, and that's probably the first time I've kind of felt like I was half losing my temper with him. And I said, like, felt real. What do you mean? I felt really real. Did you think you were going over there to the playground? Mm -hmm. You know, and I felt like, does this, does this child at 28, not see the danger of where he is. I, I guess that was kind of like, I was so in utter disbelief that, 
what do you mean it got really real? What did you think you were doing, right? Uh, well, I've since found out that it's to do kind of that mindset with the training and, and you know, you, you train and train and train like it's real. And when it gets real, your training kicks in to help you. But I guess I didn't have that concept. But right. but in my mind, that was, you know, I was so close to like, seriously, where did you think you were going, right? Yeah. Um, am I the only one who was conscious of these dangers? <laughs> like, did you not see that, Kirk? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. so... Um, but I, I think I think looking back on that day, uh, I, I know we, we can't go back and regret. We can't go back and change things. But I, I think when I saw that little blurb and knowing the strong feelings that I had when I saw it, I think I would have, I think I would say to myself, you need to explore this further and make sure it's not your son or if it is, you need to find out. So I don't know. It was, you know, again, uh, uh, I have I have a very strong intuition lots of times. Uh, and I tend to sometimes push that intuition away because uh, uh, I guess, for example, if somebody has been on my mind a long time, normally what I would do is pick up the phone and say, are you OK? That, that type of thing. So maybe I didn't want to know what it was telling me that day. You know, maybe that whole sense of the big horse coming to kick me in the heart again, maybe, maybe that's what was just holding me back, that I really did not want to know if that's what was happening. But I think, I think that's what I would do. That would be my one thing is explore this a little further. Don't push that intuition away explore find out what this means you know and as the day wore on and I was working and etc etc and then I, I I don't know but again geography being what it is I wasn't sure who I would even call to find out because and this Kirk had always said mom you will always get a phone call so eh, yeah you know Jerry your thoughts on that and well, Tina, you know, I just think about what you've been through. Um, I guess you're obviously a survivor. Um, and, and, you know, I think during the pandemic, a lot of people are, are afraid to say that in some ways it's been very challenging. But, you know, there's some in terms of business and, and life in general, sometimes you can thrive. I know that I'm busier now than I've been in a long time. What, what I'm asking, I guess, is, is it is it okay to say you're okay? You know, uh, you know, I think by talking to you, there's definitely joy in your life, but is there also guilt? And if there is, how do you overcome that? Um, I think, I think one of the, one of the toughest things is to learn how to live with how you feel about what has happened. And some days that's a lot easier than others. And November, December, January, I don't live with myself and how I feel very well, to be perfectly honest. I cry a lot more. I, I feel like I'm more emotional. Uh, and I think, I think you can either let that pull you down into that black hole or, or you can fight it. And I think that for me, I choose to fight that because I don't want to be lost in that black hole. Because I think sometimes if I ever gave in to the feelings that I really feel about losing my son, I don't think I could ever be put back together again. And I don't want that to happen to me. So I try to on any given day, especially if it's a real difficult day, I try to stay busy. I try to find something to do that will keep my mind focused um, so that I'm not just kind of sitting and, and letting my thoughts go willy-nilly. I, I, I try to keep that whole, um, the emotional side somewhat, somewhat controlled so that it doesn't fly all apart. Because again, like I say, sometimes if you, I, I just feel like if I were to fly apart, then 
nobody could ever put me back together again. And I, and I guess I'm more scared of that than I am of, of, of anything else. Um, I, I, I find that part really difficult, but I, I guess it's a matter of, and, and I tell myself, you know, if I have a really, really bad day and it's not that I don't sit and cry because I do. And, and I found the hardest thing through all of this is it's such it's such an overwhelming sorrow and and to to have to have buried a child is such an overwhelming sorrow and I, I I pray I seriously pray that I never ever have to bury another one of my children I my my grandmother buried five of her six children and I remember when her when her first son died and she was in the kitchen and she was crying and I said Grammy what's the matter and she said my children are not supposed to die before me and you know that her telling me that and what I've seen what she what she went through um, I, I draw strength from that I, I really do because it's true our children are not supposed to die before before any of us um, but unfortunately, you know, bad things do happen to people, and and you need to you need to somehow just pick up the pieces and, and keep moving forward, because going backward in my mind for me is it's just not an option. Right. I I don't know. Uh, again, emotional times, right? We're coming up into that anniversary, and and emotional times and and you just you just cope each each day the best way that you know how and for me i i try to keep super duper busy i i i try to get out i, I try to get out and take long walks just to try to clear your mind try and focus my mind and and i i have found that that i i'm trying to develop some kind of strategies that that when i do feel that sorrow creeping in and, and you have to have sad days because you've been through a horrible loss. So you have to have sad days. But, but for me, when I feel that sorrow kind of creeping in, I do things that, that make me feel better. Uh, lots of times I call John, in all honesty, you know, or I get in touch with, you know, the, the young fellow that, that was my escort when I went over to Kandahar Airfield. Christian, he was a good friend of Kirk's as well. He, they were in university for a year together, and uh, and he calls me his Arizona mom. So I know that no matter how difficult these days are, there's always somebody who's right there with me, and I and I guess I have to draw the strength from that, you know, just to keep moving, just keep moving, and tell yourself tomorrow will be better, you know. Well, I can tell you this, Tina, uh, the number of people that are going to watch this and draw strength just from the fact that you're here talking about it is enough for me. I think that the strength you're showing uh, talking about this is, is enormous. And that's, that's it. And, and the last thing I'll say is that, you know, I think the number of people that will learn about your son because of your courage to come on here, when they go on and Google and see the amazing amount of stories written about them, I believe there's a commemorative coin that was uh, made last year. I did not know that. These are the things that it will continue to to live on. Right, right. I think. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I go think. Ahead. I think that you you need to, you need to talk about the people you've lost. And I think, especially when they're soldiers, and they're 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 protecting you, I think I think as a country, we can't forget them. And and you know, if we don't talk about them, people will forget them. And I don't want anybody to ever forget my son. No, uh, Tina. You know, I mean, the stories the stories that people still tell me, people who say. Um, last year, we in, in Edmonton, uh, every year they usually, at Zach McCormick's mom and dad, they have like an open house on December 30th. And a lot of the guys from that platoon would, would come in and they just kind of talk stories about the guys. So last year was the 10th year. So they decided to open it up. So Ernie and I went up to that 
And I walked into the room and this young man came over to me and he said, I'm Dylan. And he said, Kirk saved me when I was in Shiloh in Manitoba. And I said, well, Dylan, tell me the story. So we'll come to find out Dylan had got himself into a little bit of trouble. So Kirk stepped up and kind of, it didn't, um, he didn't make the trouble go away, but he made the trouble like not quite as big, (laughs) you know, and this was 10 years after he was killed, you know? So, so when you, when you talk about them and the stories come out, then you make sure people don't forget them because you know, soon our generation is going to be gone. And, and will the younger generation talk about the people we've lost in the war? I don't know. You know, Jim, Jim and Stephanie will, because he was their brother, but on ordinary, you know, any given day, will the next generations following down from us remember that, Hey, Sergeant Kirk Taylor was killed in Afghanistan. So I guess we have to talk about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just, I got to say something. I served, you know, for nine years in the reserves. And when someone says to me, oh, thank you for your service. And I'm struggling with this. And I'm going to ask you right here, right now. I I don't want anyone to say that to me because, frankly, I was a logistics officer in the Navy and I reserves and I push paper. My brother, your son. They served. Thank you for your service. I do find, and I don't know, Alan, if you ever find this, and it's, I, I don't know, some, I shouldn't even say it, but you know, great, I appreciate you saying that, but maybe you should find out where the person served first, or, or maybe I'm off base here. Am I? Well, I, I think maybe a little bit you might be, because, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that that anybody who serves in, in any of the armed forces around the world deserves our thanks for, t- for doing that. Because whether you're putting your life on the line in the front lines every day, or whether you're logistics, or whether you're driving the truck, you are still there to look after the rest of us. So for me, uh, I say thank you for your service, both of you gentlemen. And, and, you know, lots of my, my husband's kind of like you, Jerry. He says, sometimes I don't know what to say when people say thank you for your service. And he was, he was just barely 10 years, I think, in the Navy. And, and what he says is thank you for your support. Because, you know, um, it, it, takes, it takes a lot of people and a lot of different walks of life in, in, in the country. And, and in my mind, you know, I, I had a... My maternal grandma, my mom's father, uh, was hurt pretty badly in, in World War II. So, you know, the whole serving your country has kind of come down through our generations quite a bit. Um, and um, I, I think that in no matter what capacity you serve, you still served. And, and I don't think that any of us can sit in any kind of a judgment and say one job in the service is any more important than the other one, to tell you the truth. I think it's part of my own paranoia of trying to live up to my brother, you know, who, you know, don't say thanks for my service. You go talk to that guy. He had bullets yeah. fired at him. <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, I, I appreciate that, Tina. You, you've helped me. Yeah. Good. Good. Tina, um, I, I, I wish I could have met Kirk. He sounds like a, a wonderful guy. Uh, I feel, I feel like I have tonight, which is, which is great. I can't begin to thank you um, for joining us tonight. Um, I, it's, it's, it's an absolute honor for us to have you on our podcast. It means a great deal to us. I know that your words will find their, their way into the right ears. I'm positive that your message will help others through this. Um, and we're happy to broadcast that loud. You might think that your voice is small, but we want to amplify that. We want to get that voice, that message that you left us with here tonight into the right ears. Because there's people out there right now that need to hear exactly what you've heard. People that are struggling right now, they need to hear your journey and what a journey it's been. I mean, it's unbelievable that you're able to piece it all together and describe it to us in such a beautiful fashion. I can feel your compassion, your emotion, your lust for life still. 
right? I, I, see, I feel that in you, and we're so proud to have, have had you on this show. Um, I, I don't know what else to say other than thank you. It's been a real privilege. And, Jerry, I'll let you close it out. Well, yeah, Alan, I, I mean, I echo the same thing. Uh, you know, Alan and I are in our infancy with this podcast. Uh, you know, we have like-minded ideals. We're interested in people thriving. It's called Gale Force Wins. And when we have someone like yourself on, you know, what what is it we're talking about? And I think it's survival for sure. But it's definitely the one thing that I want to say is thank you. Um, uh, you know, as I've said, you know, my brother's talked about you for 11 years. Uh, I get to meet you. I, I, I'm, I can't believe that it went from me and him having a little chat about it to now here you are. And our, 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 the first of our conversations are coming to a close. So I just want to say thank you. And I'll leave the last word to you, Tina. Well, I, I guess, I guess, um, I owe you both my thanks for, for allowing me to, to do this. Um, it, it's not often that I get a chance to um, be able to speak quite so freely. Uh, I, I do live in a different country than, than where I was uh, brought up. So uh, I like this country, but I like mine better. So um, I, I really appreciate being able to uh, talk about my emotions uh, regard, regarding my son. I think I think it's important to experience the emotions, and, and I think it's important to talk about them, um, especially with somebody from home. And and I guess you know when John John sent me the note and said, you know, what's your thoughts on this? And I thought, oh gosh, I don't know a thing about technology. I don't know how to do this, John. He said they'll walk you through it. So I say, great, you know. But I, I, I do. I really appreciate you, you, you asking me, and I, I appreciate, I appreciate the questions because I think sometimes, um, you have to, as, as a mom or as, as a parent who, who's lost a child in, in a really horrific incident like this, you, you have to be able to walk back through in time like we've done and connect with your emotions of how you felt then to the emotions of how I feel now because then it shows you, yeah, I have come a lot further than I ever thought that I would. And, you know, emotion-wise in dealing with, dealing with the loss. So I, I thank you for that because, because without this today, I don't think I would have really recognized that I've come a whole lot further than what I ever thought that I would at this point. So thank you very much, both of you. I really appreciate that. World oh, I needs thank you. More. The world needs more Tina Smith, Jerry. Uh, you got that right. Oh, without a doubt. Well, Tina, thank you. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the future.